Okay, good evening everyone, thank you for joining tonight's class, tonight's shir was dedicated by um, Arnie and Atara Roth. And this is in honor of Atara's birthday, may Hashem bless her with much, much mazal and bracha and a really, really good shnas bracha, natzlacha, wonderful, wonderful good year with uh, good health and prosperity and only light and happiness for you and the family. Uh, in the material and in the spiritual, and uh, we should um, merit to dance into the Geula Shalem already. Hashem, before your next birthday. Um, also, I want to dedicate tonight's class um, to for the Zchus of the Neshama. Someone, uh, a dear friends of ours, whose uh, father uh, I didn't know her father that well, but. Um, he was in our shul one time for the bris milah of his grandson, um, but uh, just passed away yesterday, very sadly. Um, so we want to mention his name. I don't, I didn't get to get his father's name. So usually when we daven for an ill person, we use the mother's name. And after the passing, we use the father's name, at least in the Ashkenaz. But I think in Sephardic community, they use both. So I'm going to apply the Sephardic uh, tradition or the, uh, that can use both the father and mother even afterwards. And we're going to use this to make a, a um Your neighbor Joyce, Joyce's father, passed away, yeah. So um, um, may uh, this be L'schus the Neshama for Max Mordechai ben Rachel. And there shouldn't, the family shouldn't know any more of any sorrow. And this learning and teaching should be as chus for him to protect his soul and watch over him. And uh, I think the funeral is going to be on Wednesday. But um, Hashem help that we shouldn't know any more any sorrow and any more pain. And only brachas and <coughs> good things for all the Jewish people. Okay, so this week's parsha is Parsha's Kedoshim. And we also entered into a new month, the month of Iyar. So I'd like to bring the two together. The parsha, and the mitzvah of parsha's kedoshim says the first verse. It says, "Daber al kol Yisrael, daber al Speak to all the Jewish people. So this is a mitzvah. This was an assembly where all the Jewish people had to be assembled. And what was the what was Hashem telling Moshe? The first thing, kedoshim to you, you should be holy, kikadoshani, because I am holy. So God instructs us on holiness that we should be a holy people. And the, it's, so, it's so amazing because Hashem says, why should you be holy? Because I am holy. Well, 
you're God and we're just us. How do you expect us to be holy um, because you're holy? And to make, to make it even more surprising, when it says you should be holy because I am holy means that your holiness is similar to my holiness. So how holy are we, are we to be? We are to be similar to Hashem's holiness. On the simple level, we can't match God's holiness. No matter how hard we try, we're still finite creatures and God is infinite. So our holiness can never ever match His holiness. And that's why the Midrash actually says on the words, um, you should be holy, because I am holy. So the Midrash says, you would think you can be as holy as me. You would think you could be as holy as me. And the Medrash says, Talmud it says, because I am holy. Which means, no, you are commanded to be holy, but my holiness will always be greater than your holiness. Kedusha, see, my holiness, is above your holiness. Well, that's until the Balshemtav came along. You know, the Baal Shem Tov came along and the Baal Shem Tov turned everything on its head upside down. So until the Baal Shem Tov came along and his holy, holy, holy students, we understood this as be holy. We can be incy beansy weensy holy. And God can be hugely holy. And that's what the that's what the Medrash is saying. Yachel Kemoini, you would think you're like me. Well. But once the Holy Baal Shem Tov reveals to us that every single Jew possesses within him a, a neshama, and the soul is a little piece of God from above. Now this concept really is stated already in the Arizal, that the neshama is a chelek alokai, is a little piece of God from above. But in the Arizal's teachings, it's not so much emphasized. This idea of the grandeur of the soul, that the neshama of a yid is a little piece of God, is a Balshemtov, is something that the Balshemtov ran with, and the Balshemtov lived with it. And the whole Hasidic movement is based on this idea how holy a Jew is, how godly a Jew is. So, one of the students of the Balshemtov, Reb Nachem of, of Chernobyl, in his Sefer Mo'ire Nayim, he reads this midrash a little different. Surprising, very surprising. When God says, Be holy, and the Medrash says, well, you're in, it's incomparable to my holiness. You would think you can be as holy as me. But no, you can't because my holiness is greater than yours. He has an insight in these words. He reads them in a Hasidic way. And when you read it in a Hasidic way, you read it differently. It's the same statement, but it has a whole different meaning. And this is what he says. Kedoshim to you, you should be holy. And then the Medrash says, How holy does God expect you to be? What is the Kedusha? What is the level of holiness that the Abishter expects a Jew to be? So the Medrash says, You know how holy you should be? Yachol Kamoini. Now, usually the word Yachol is always you would think. That's the way we usually read Yachol, because we were trained to think already Gemara. This is the way Talmud learns. It always asks, Yachol, we would think. But over here, Yachol means something else. 
the Balshemto is simple. And therefore he reads the word, and as a student of the Balshemto. Again, I'm not t- giving you a Torah of the Balshemto, I'm giving you a Torah of his student, the Rabbi Nachem of Chernobyl. But his Rebbe taught him how to, how to, how to read, how to be simple. The Balshemtov didn't come to teach sophistication. Even though the Balshemtov taught the greatest geniuses and the greatest scholars how to serve God. And he showed them the, how they haven't even begun to serve Hashem. And how serving Hashem is higher and higher. But yet his greatest teaching was how to be simple. And the simplicity of the simple Jew reflects the simplicity of God's essence. Amazing teaching of the Holy Balshemtov. That the simplicity of a simple Jew reflects and expresses the simplicity of God's essence. That's beyond all, all complexity. The simplicity. Anyways, so when you read the word Yochel, like a simple Yid, you didn't learn Gemara, you didn't learn how to twist your thumb yet. Yochel, we would think. So you read Yochel, which Yochel means you're able. Comes the Holy Ramnachem of Chernobyl and he says, Kedoshim to you, you should be holy. The med- what does the Medrash says? How holy should be. Yachel, you're able, Kamayni, to be like me. That's simple. Dafka, the simple Jew who doesn't know how to dray with his finger, <laughs> ends up reading this so differently. Not, we would think you could be like me. Nah, nah, never try to be like God. You can never be as holy as God. The Baal Shem Tov teaches, or his student, what does he teach? Yes, Yachel, Kamayni, you can be as holy as me. But hold on, what do you do with the rest of the Medrash? What does the rest of the Medrash say? The Medrash continues. The Medrash says, Kikadashani, Kedushasi, my holiness, Lamaila Mikdushaschem, is higher than your holiness. So the Medrash says, no matter how holy you're going to climb, I'm always going to be holier. You're never going to get to the top of the mountain. That's the way you read the Medrash. Again, that's the way you're reading when you're reading with a Gemara cup, which is a sophisticated, complex mind. But if you're reading simply, you might change the comma. You know, a lot of times when people don't know how to read, they put the commas in the wrong place. But here is where the deepest teaching comes out, Dafka by putting the comma in the wrong place. It's not the wrong place, it's ultimate the right place. How do we read the rest of the Medrash? Talmud law, again, Kedoshim to you, you should be holy. How holy should you be? Yachal, you're able. You hear this? Yachal, you're able. Come on, like me. And what does the Medrash continue? Ki Kedoshani, because you should know God says, you know, you know why I am holy? Kedushasi Lamaila, my holiness above. Mikdushaschem comes from your holiness. God says, I am only holy. Because of your holiness. Your holiness makes me holy. Not, Kedushasi, my holiness, Lamayla Mikdushaschem, is above your holiness. You hear? That's the way we read it usually. Kedushasi, comma, my holiness, Lamayla Mikdushaschem, is holier than your holiness. That's until Hasidus. Now let's read it differently. Kedushasi Lamaila, my holiness in the highest supreme levels, Mikdushaschem comes from your holiness. So since my holiness is generated by your holiness, it is for that reason that you can be as holy as me. 
Okay, so who are we talking to being as holy as God? Do we find one tzaddik that can be as holy as the Abish there? Wow! Are we talking about souls in Gan Eden? That would also be a big chiddush, that they can be as holy as God. But the mitzvah kedoshim to you, Rashi says, is talking to a person who has temptations and desires for forbidden relationships. So we're talking to a person who is deeply entrenched and stuck in his body, and he has lusts and ugly cravings. And to this individual, who is fighting the temptation of his Yetzirah daily, meaning a person within the world, within a body, living in Hollywood as well, living with all this non-kosher stuff all around, exposed to all the garbage. And we say to a person like that, while he's in his body, you can be as holy as God. It would, you know, I mean, to say be holy, even if it's not as holy as God, even if it's just a little bit holy, we wonder, wow, how can we be holy? With all that was constantly being, you know, coming at us. And to say that a human being, while in a shama, is enclosed in a body, that he should be as holy as the Abishter is holy. Sounds like impossible. So obviously we have to go back to what we mentioned earlier. We can blame, we can say, that this that we can be as holy as Hashem is holy. True, our body is very, very lowly. Our body is very dark. Our body has all kinds of um, negative and undesirable elements to it, as we all know. Our body keeps on dragging us into that which is not that good. Or at least pulling us towards that which is not that good. Um, so we say, okay, it's attributed to the neshama. Because the neshama, as we say every day, the neshama that you gave to me, she's so pure. So we have a halig neshama. We have a holy soul. Especially since we know the secret, as I mentioned earlier, from the Baal Shem Tov, from the Arizal, that our souls, our Jewish neshamas, are literally a piece of Hashem from above. And then when we say a peace, you're dealing with something that is unpeaceable. So a piece of that which is unpeaceable is not really a piece. It's the whole thing. That's the secret. Because a piece of the essence is the entire essence. That's another teaching of the Baal Shem Tov. We're dealing with the chalik of God's essence. The essence is indivisible. So one piece is everything. The words of the Baal Shem Tov, The essence, when you take hold of a tiny bit of it, you're taking a whole hold of the whole entire thing. So now we understand already. Every Yid, I can only say this in Yiddish, every Yid is the Gansar Ebershter. They'll throw me out of some shuls if I say that in there. But over here in my Yisrael, I think I've already massaged the place enough to hear this Hasidish idea <laughs> that every Jew is the, is the entire Abishter, meaning all that there is to God is really there in every Jew. Because every Jew is a, is a child, is a one and only child of Hashem. A parent puts his entire self into each Jew, each into each child. So we're one and only, especially when you're one and only child. So, of course, so therefore we can be as holy as God. Unbelievable, great. But that would be true if all we would be is a neshama. If we would be floating souls that I understand. But since the mitzvah of Kedoshim to you is a commandment to us while we're physically inhabiting a body, 
not floating in the spiritual realms above. That means that when we're saying being holy means to live in a state of holiness while we're physically alive. So how in the world do we expect a body to be holy? A body, we know that the body in, in Kabbalah, it says in the Zohar, that the body that we have is called, it's made from the hide of the snake. From, uh, it's called over there, uh, the, the, the hide of the snake, it means it's a clipper, it, has a, the, it comes from the impure stuff. And uh, so how can we take such a body and make our body holy? So obviously the ultimate state of now we work on it. We're working on it currently. We do Torah and mitzvahs. The project of all of Torah and mitzvahs is to ultimately make our bodies holy, as holy as our soul. That our neshama and our body become completely fused as one entity. And therefore, not only is the neshama eternal, but the body is also eternal. But that holiness and that level is going to be reached only after the coming of Mashiach. But the work that is done in order to bring the Messianic era, to bring to that state where our bodies are completely synchronized with our neshamas, as holy as our neshama, is done now. And it's precisely with the intention of sanctifying the body that God spilled so much Torah and mitzvahs. Think about it. Hashem poured so much mitzvahs, so many commandments, just for the sake of our physical bodies. The Nisham in heaven can't do mitzvahs. The soul, when it's not in a body, can't, can't do any mitzvahs. We have 613 mitzvahs, plus all the details and details and details and details and sub-details. It's, it's immense. And they're all, each one of them is deep divine secrets. Now why would God spend so much time and so much of His inner energy and so much... Hashem gave us all the goodies. Especially when we learn in Kabbalah and Hasidus how deep these mitzvahs are. How godly, how they come from the highest spherot and attributes. And beyond all the spiritual worlds. And when one mitzvah illuminates all the worlds. And how the archangel Michael would give away all of his light... You know what a kind of light Archangel Michael has, Malach Michael has? For one of the strands of a tzitzis, not even the whole mitzvah, you know, it's not even a mitzvah, only has is one piece. But he would give it all away for the mitzvah of tzitzis because what's there in the mitzvah of tzitzis is more than the light that shines in all the spiritual worlds put together. So mitzvahs are coming from somewhere so high, so deep, so... For what? For the limbs, the organs, the physical fingers, for the physical hands, physical legs, brain, nose, eyes, the entire physical body. To do what? To make the body holy. So our body becomes holy. And how holy does our body become? Well, when Mashiach will come, the Gemara says, Asidim tzadikim sheyoimru lefnehem kodesh. Wow. Today's days we say to God, every day is the highlight of our prayer. Kadosh, Kadosh, Kadosh. Holy, everybody stands, and it's the part everybody says together. We jump up, we're realizing, wow, he's so high. 
Kaddish, Kaddish, Kaddish. Who? Hashem Tzavakos. And that's what the angels sing. The angels in heaven are singing God's praise and they're saying, Holy, 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 the Lord of hosts. After the coming of Mashiach and after the resurrection of the dead, the angels will say, Kaddish, 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 Kaddish to the Tzaddikim. Who are these Tzaddikim? To the righteous. Who are these Tzaddikim? Well, we just said it in Pirkei Avis, Kulam Tzaddikim. All Yidin are these Tzaddikim. And all Jews, after the resurrection, their bodies are going to be shining so high that they're going to be mamish. The body is going to be one with Hashem. So you can only say Kaddish, Kaddish, Kaddish to Hashem, but the body and Hashem are totally one. Our physical bodies. It's unbelievable. And that's the mitzvah, Kedoshim Tiyu. And Kedoshim Tiyu is a commandment. Kedoshim Tiyu, you shall be holy. But the way the Chazal, the way the Pasuk says it is not just as a commandment. It's one of the mitzvahs. You should be holy. But the way the Pasuk, the terminology of the Pasuk is not only you should be holy, but it's also like an information. It's telling us something. Kedoshim Tiyu, you will be holy. Follow the program, you will be holy. Kedoshim Tiyu, you will be holy. How? As we said, the Malachim will say to every single Jewish, not Neshama in heaven, Neshama in a body, Kadosh, Kadosh, Kadosh. Holy, holy, holy. In the same awe that they say it, that they say it to God, they're going to say it to us. When Mashiach comes. So wow. So the question is, how is that? How is that possible? How is it possible that a body which is made up of the lowest materials, body is made up, it's physical, it's the material of the world. This world is the lowest world. The physical matter is the lowest form of existence. It's the most after the evolving, evolving lights of all the spiritual, where the angels exist. Angels are spirit without matter. If they have matter, they have very, very refined matter that we can't see them. How can it be that these enormous, unbelievable spiritual beings are, are, are enamored and they're blown away and they're in awe of the, of the body, not of the soul, of the body? Because the tzaddikim, they're going to say in front of the tzaddikim, Kaddish, Kaddish, Kaddish. How is it possible? That the lowest, most limited, the most defined, the most constricted element of creation, the body that in our days is saturated with Sahara, with negativity and unholiness and so on and so forth, is one day going to be brighter than the sun, brighter than the heavens, and is going to be in a level where you can say Kaddish, Kaddish, Kaddish to the body. So how does, how does that happen? And the answer is the month of Iyar, Chodesh Iyar. That's the month in which we take care of this, this particular business. Making our bodies holy. And what does it have to do with the month of Iyar? So we know that um, there are three months in the Torah that are connected to Yetzias Mitzrayim. Three months. What are the three months? The month of Nisan is connected to the Exodus, Yetzias Mitzrayim. There is, and the, and the Pasuk says, first of all, Yetzias Mitzrayim happened in Nisan. But the Pasuk refers to Nisan even later in the Torah, 
Whenever it wants to say that something should be done in Nisan, it says, It's the first month from when the Jews went out of Mitzrayim. Chodesh Iyar is also, you find the Pasuk, where the Pasuk says, You have that regarding the month of Iyar as well. Exactly the Pasuk. Uh, the Pasuk, no, uh, uh, regarding Nisan it says, Chodesh Aviv, the month of spring, which is Nisan. Because in this month you went out of Mitzrayim. In the, in regarding the month of Iyar it says, Be'echad l'chodesh hasheni, Bashana hashenis l'tseisam eretz Mitzrayim. So it refers to it, Chodesh hasheni, to the going out of Mitzrayim. And finally, it mentions Yetzirah Mitzrayim regarding the third month. For the Jewish people going out of Egypt. We don't find a mention of Yetzirah Mitzrayim by any of the other months. From Tammuz and onward, it doesn't say from when they went out of Mitzrayim. For the month of Av, from when they went out of Mitzrayim. For El, we don't find it. We only find it in the first three months. And the reason for that is because the events that happened in these three months are really all part of Yetzias Mitzrayim. Even though Yetzias Mitzrayim only happened in the first month, it really is a continuation. The first month is Nisan. That's when, as I mentioned, Yetzias Mitzrayim happened. But what's the purpose of Yetzias Mitzrayim? The whole purpose of Yetzias Mitzrayim was that the Jews should receive the Torah. The Torah happens in the third month, Chodesh Siva. So that's what we understand. Since the purpose of Yetzirah Mitzrayim is the receiving of the Torah, therefore we understand that the Torah is connected to Yetzirah Mitzrayim because that's the goal and the objective of Yetzirah Mitzrayim. Now how do you get from the beginning to the objective? You have to pass through the second month. And the second month is the month of Iyar. So the second month is when you have the work that needs to be done in order to connect the exodus with the giving of the Torah. And therefore you have a trial. You have these three months together work as a set. These three months together are, are, are the experience of Yetzirah Mitzrayim. The exodus itself, meaning the, the empowerment coming from above, that we should free ourselves from the shackles and the boundaries and limitations of Yetzirah or worldly, limited, finite existence so that we can lift ourselves up and connect ourselves to the divine. The empowerment is given to us in Nisan. The final fusion of a Jew with Hashem to the utmost fusion and connection is when we receive the Torah. And we can start living our daily lives as divine beings, not as human beings. When you're doing mitzvahs, you're living a divine life, not a human life. Because the mitzvahs are God's, Hashem's mannerisms. The mitzvah is Hashem's schedule. The mitzvah is Hashem's actions. And you're doing Hashem's actions, that means you are actually channeling Hashem through your limbs of your body. So fusion of a person with God happens through Torah, which is Bachaydesh Hashlishi, third month. But you need, after you receive an empowerment from above, you actually need some work on your own before you can arrive to that fusion. 
And that's the month of Iyar. That's why the month of Iyar is a month of Sfirasa Omer. It's the month of counting of the Omer. And the whole idea of counting of the Omer, that means that even though we count the Omer more than the month of Iyar, we count the Omer for about 14 days in Nisan, and then another six days in, uh, or five days in, in Sivan. But that's only partial. It means you don't have any other month where the entire month is the mitzvah of Sfirah to Omer, of counting the Omer. Only the month of Iyar. Every day is counted. The entire, the entire month. By the way, it's the only month, time period of the year, a month, that every day of the month is connected to a mitzvah, a special mitzvah. You have other months, like Tishrei has a lot of holidays, special mitzvahs. You blow the shoifer or shoshana, you fast on Yom Kippur, you shake the lulav, and you have the sukkah. You have, each one has a mitzvah. But you don't have any month in the year where the entire month is connected to a mitzvah. The only elevated month where the entire month is connected with a specific mitzvah that's unique that you don't have the rest of the year is the month of Iyar, where every day you count Omer. But what is the idea of counting the Omer? So we've discussed this already. Omer means animal fodder. Omer is barley. The Talmud always associates barley with food of an animal. And the idea of counting the Omer means sublimating the animal side inside of us. In other words, reaching into our body and polishing our body. Sphira so Omer actually means make Sphira comes from the word not only counting, Sphira comes from the word polishing or shining. Moloshin sapir, sapphire. To make something shine. We want to take the lower part of ourselves and make it shine. That's the point of this entire month. And that's why we work the in, in ER we have only four weeks, but the entire sphere is a seven week period. Why? Because our psychological makeup of our animal soul and our body is made up of seven forces, seven midot, seven attributes, seven emotional character traits that make up the functionality of our body and of our animalistic side, our unholy side. And we want to deliver purification. We want to sublimate. Every week we work on another one of our characteristics to sublimate it. Seven weeks. But Chodesh Iyar is the full month of rectification of our lower side, of the animal soul. So in a, in a sense, we can say then as follows. Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, Nisan is the past. The past empowerment. God took a, a clan of slaves and He liberated them and He imbued them with incredible divine power. That's Nisan. Sivan, receiving the Torah, which means, as we said, in its ultimate sense, means complete fusion with Hashem, really represents the days of Mashiach. When we're all going to be living in divine consciousness. When Umala Aretz Deyas Hashem, when the earth is going to be filled with divine knowledge. And by the way, it's going to be the only time when we're going to finally be able to fulfill all 613 commandments. There was never in the history of the world that we were able to do all 613. Even the days of Shlomo Melech. When the Beis Hamikdash stood, we still didn't do all 613. We did only 612. Or actually, we did 613, but we didn't do one of the mitzvahs in its perfection which is the mitzvah we discussed at once, the mitzvah of cities of refuge. Because the Torah says that if God is going to make your land bigger, you're going to add another three, three cities for the cities of refuge. And that detail of the mitzvah is only going to be after Mashiach comes. 
That means that we've never had shleimus of kiyom of Torah mitzvahs until Mashiach comes. So, and what's, what's the shleimus of kiyom of Torah mitzvahs? What does it mean? What's the perfection of observance of mitzvahs? Is that we are completely synchronized with God, that we are godly. So after Mashiach comes, we're going to be in the world of Sivan. In the past, the empowerment is from Chodesh Nisan. The long, long, long exile. The long period that we are currently coming out of. We're still in it, but we're coming out of it. We're entering now, in, 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 the, in history, we're entering from Iyar into Sivan, because we're already entering into the days of Mashiach. But the actual darkness in between is the time that we're working to sublimate or elevate or illuminate the darkness. So that's really the month of Iyar. We're busy for the last thousand years counting the Omer on some level. And so it makes sense why the counting of Omer period is a part that we don't have music and we, 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 we tune down the joy a little bit because it represents in a certain sense a little bit of a dark time. And the plague of the students of Rabbi Akiva and all these negatives. There's certain negative, negative, we don't make a Shechayano during this time. Weddings we kind of limit during this time. Because it repre- it's similar, it's, 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 it's interesting, it's, the, it, it's similar to the other time in the year which we're, which we're really commemorating the Gullus, which is the three-week period in the middle of the summer. Yet Sphira is similar. So you see that, the, that even though Sphira has nothing to do with the Gullus, but now we can understand. Because Nisan is the past redemption. Sivan is the marriage between Hashem and the Jewish people. And we know that when we, get, when we got the Torah, it was only the betrothal. It wasn't the complete marriage. It was only the erosin, the nesuyan, the full consummation of the marriage is only going to be when Mashiach comes. So that's the nesuyan, the marriage. And this is the in-between process. And this in-between time is when we have to focus on sublimating our bodies. So we see from here that the key to everything is the elevation of the body. Because that's what we're busy doing. To make ourselves worthy for this ultimate union with God, we need to have a purification of our body. By the way, we discussed this in another class, it also says that the time period between Pesach and Shavuos is a seven-week period compared to a woman during her time of purification from her impure state for her intimacy with her husband, which is a seven-day purification. So it's the seven days of purification, which also, to a certain degree, represents during the time of exile, we're also similar like a woman that's called Anida. She's in a state of menstruation, she's impure to her husband, because we're holding a middle doing the tikkun. We're holding a middle of purifying. So in order to understand this purification, and the power of it, and why it's so important. And why the entire, as we said earlier, Kedoshim Tiyu, Kikadoshani, is that we should make our bodies holy. So to understand this, let's for a moment analyze. Right after we count the Omer, we make the bracha, we count the Omer, and then we have a minog to say certain things. So one of the things that we say, we say Anavakoach, which is a special prayer based on deep mystical secrets written by Rabbi Nechunya ben Akana. But we also say, Lamna Tseach Mizmor Shir Elokim Yechanenu. We say chapter Psalm 67. Perek Samach Zayin in Tehillim. 
And in that chapter we say, Lam Natsayach Mizmor Shir. Elokim Yechaneinu, God will show us grace. Viyavarcheinu, and He will bless us. Ya'er Pana Vitanu Sela. He will shine His face with us eternity, for all eternity. Oh, sometimes I wish I could dive it in English. <laughs> You know, you say these words in Hebrew, so they, <laughs> you say it in English, oh, wow, what a beautiful words. God will grace us. He will bless us. He will illuminate, he will shine his face, his countenance. Itanu with us, sell off forever and ever. And then suddenly it takes a turn. First we're talking about how God will grace us, referring to the Jewish people. And then suddenly we're talking a lot about the nations. We say, Yaducha Amem Elokim, that the nations will praise you. Yaducha Amem Kulam, the nations will all praise you. You right? Yismachu Viraminu Liumim, they will rejoice and they will sing the empires. There's a whole lot talking about the nations. What is over there? Where else does it say? And why? Kisishpoit Amem Mishar, because you, Hashem, will judge the nations. Fairly. So the Alshech, the Holy Ramosha of the Alshech, um, lived in the same period of time as the Holy Arizal in Tzfat. So he gives a pirush on this chapter in Tehillim. And we'll understand, because you have to understand, what's the connection of this suddenly to Sfira Omer? Why are we talking about this right after the mitzvah of Sfira Omer? We're suddenly talking about uh, this, we're saying this, we chose this psalm to be said dafka after Sefira Soma. Obviously we understand there's a deep secret to this. That this, this is what the Jewish people say after Sefira Soma. So let's analyze this parak of Tehillim for a moment. So the Al Shekha says like this. He says, this capital Tehillim is referring to the days of the coming of Mashiach. It's a prophecy speaking about the end of days. Not the coming of Mashiach, but the post-Mashiach era. After Mashiach comes, what will be? He says at that time, the world will be filled with song. The world will be sing- filled with song. Who's going to be singing? Mizmoir, he says. Mizmoir is the song, is one song. And Shir is another song. Two levels of song. We're going to sing and sing. Why are we going to sing so much? And two types of singing, we're going to see soon who's singing. But two types of singing, because of two tremendous, um, um, wonderful things that are going to happen after Mashiach comes. What, is the, what are these two things? Number one, he says, there is going to be Shefat, Shefat Tovli Yisrael. There's going to be a tremendous abundance of goodness and kindness to the Jewish people. And that's hinted to in the beginning, not hinted to, that's expressed in the beginning of the Perek, of the Tehillim, where it says, Elohim Yechaneinu, God will grace us, Vivarcheinu, and He will bless us, Yo'er Panav, He will be shining His luminous face to all of us, Itanu Sela. So that's the goodness that's going to come to the Jewish people. But then he says, the nations in the world will not feel cheated. They too will feel that God has taken care of them. 
Maybe there will be whatever. We know that Hashem will, will judge for all the suffering that the Jewish people have gone through. I would give an idea for all the nations in the world that, you've been, that people that have been hurting Jews for thousands of years, I would give a good idea to please stop now. Because you know it's going to happen any second Mashiach is going to come. And you don't want to be caught with your, you know what you say, caught with your pants down. Like why would you, moments, seconds before Mashiach comes, why would you be showing what an anti-Semite you are? <laughs> Might as well, you've been trying. We, I'm going to talk to you directly. I'm going to say it like this. We are not going to beat anyways. You know why? Because smarter and stronger and people, they've been trying to do this for thousands of years, they couldn't get rid of us. We're here to stay. <laughs> that's, that's the bottom line. And Hamas shouldn't think they're so smart, and they're so bigger than smarter, and more powerful than, than, than Nebuchadnezzar, and the Haman, and Pharaoh, and, and, and the Romans, and the Spanish, and the French, and the English, with all their persecutions, and, and the, the, the Hamlinetskis, and the communists, and, and Hitler, and the Holocaust. So Hamas shouldn't think that they're finally going to do it or some other pisher somewhere who's, who's deciding to grab a rifle or something. You're not going to eliminate us. We're here to stay forever and ever and ever. And me, Rabbi Wolf, over here, I'm telling you that we're here to stay. That's you should know. Number one. If that's the case, Moshiach is coming any minute. As you can see in the news, that so many things are happening for the Jewish people in an unbelievable way. So you might as well take your hatred, turn it around, and show a little love. So on that great moment when Mashiach comes, you'll be able to stand there and get a smile from Mashiach Tzedkenu. Thank you for, for helping out the Jewish people, Hashem's chosen people in the world. That would be my advice. I don't know if you take my advice, but that would be my advice for the people. In any case, the, med, the Medrash says that the nations of the world will feel that God treated them fairly. That Hashem judged the nations Mishar in a fair way. Therefore, there's going to be a lot of singing in this world. There's going to be tremendous grace and, 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 and blessing to the Jewish people. There's also going to be a lot of bracha to the nations in that sense. That's why the Alshech says, that's why the beginning of the, of the parak begins with Mizmar Shir, double song. Mizmar Shir. One song is for the blessed, Mizmar, he says, is for the song, is for the blessings that come to Israel, to the Jewish people. And Shir is for the song and the blessings that come to the, and the goodness that will be for nations as well. That's the Pirush that the Alshech says. The Tzemach Tzedek, third Chabad Rebbe, brings the Alshech HaKadosh. And he says, Lohoyer, however, seems to argue on the Alshech on one point. He says, in Lekutei, see, Alshech wrote his Pirush primarily on the level of Drush. We know that we can expound on the Torah on four levels. Pshat, Remez, Drush, and Sod. So Drush is a level. But Sod is much deeper, secret. And the Arizal told the Alshech, you know, the Alshech would always come to the Arizal's classes and he would always fall asleep. As soon as you walk into the class, he would fall asleep. And the Alshech was very bothered why he could not stay awake by the Arizal's class. 
And the Arizal said, because your soul comes from the world of Drush, and my classes is in the world of Sod, of secret. And the esoteric, since your soul is not from that place, so, but you're not meant to hear, you don't hear. So you fall asleep. In any case, so the Tzemach Tzedek introduces an element of Sod. And he says that Maizeda, his grandfather, the Alter Rebbe, Rebbe Zalman of Liandi, he, when he touches the word Mizmar Shir, not in this parak, somewhere else, regarding to Mizmar Shir Chanukah Sabayas, there it also says Mizmar Shir, Mizmar song Shir, to sing. So there he says an interesting thing, we discussed this already in earlier classes, that Mizmar is a song that is sung by the angels. He says, Mizmar is the song that Malachim sing. Shir is the song of Neshamas, the song of souls. Souls and angels both sing in heaven. Mizmar is the song of angels, and, shir, and just, to, just to explain why, he says, because Mizmar means with an instrument. Mizmar is to sing, but to sing with accompanying with musical instruments. Shir represents vocal singing. Singing without instrument. Instrument is called kli, kli shir, musical instrument, a keli. Malachim, angels, even though we said before they're very spiritual, they still have a vessel, they have a container, they have a body. Their bodies are very, very elegant and very refined, but they have a body. Their body is made up only of the two elements, wind, wind and fire. We said it today in Baruch Inavshin. Eish and Ruach. Fire and wind. But they, but they have a body. That's why their song is called a song that's done through musical instruments. Because there's a keli, there's a vessel. Souls, when they're in heaven, when they're not inside a body, are pure spirit without any matter. There's no keli, there's only oir. There's only light. And that's why it's called Shir. Shir is the song of a person without a keli, without a vessel, without a musical instrument. Therefore, the Tzemach Tzedek says, oh, so therefore you have to say that the Mizmar and the Shir is different than what the Alshech says. We were saying earlier that the Mizmar is singing for what God will do for the Jews. And Shir is what Hashem will do for the nations. But according to what we're saying now, that Mizmar is the song of the angels, and Shir is the song of souls, so we have to reverse it. And say that Mizmar, the angels, angels are the source of all the 70 nations. Because there are 70 ministering nations. And we know that the hashpa, the flow of energy, coming down to all the nations in the world, go through the angels. The flow of energy going to the Jewish people, comes directly from Hashem. Directly from God. So therefore, the angels are, are connected to the, to, the, to, the, to the nations. That's why in, in, the, in the non-Jewish world and in other religions, they have a busy a lot with the malachim, with the angels, pictures of them and so on and so forth. In Judaism, in Judaism, we don't pay too much attention to the angels. Not too much. There is, even though, of course, angels is a very, very, very important thing, but we're not so busy with cherubs and all kinds of creatures and all these stuff. Uh, and that's it, because he didn't direct line to Hashem. In any case, so therefore, Mizmar is the song of the angels, so it has to do with 
the nations are being judged fairly. That's that song. In other words, the goodness that will be for the nations in the world after Mashiach comes. And the, the um, sheer is because of the, of the Elohim Yechaneinu Vivarcheinu, because of the grace that God will show Israel after Mashiach comes. So it's a beautiful parak in Tehillim. Talking about the post-Messianic era, and the song that will come, angels, neshamis, the goodness that will be universal. When Mashiach will come, it will be universally good. If that's the case, how come the Mizmar is first? We should think, we should think that the first should be Shir, the song of, of the Jewish people. They're the primary recipients of, of the redemption. The redemption will spill over for all of humanity. But the song should be first the song of the Jewish people, not the song first of the angels, just to the nations. And the answer to that is, as we're gonna, and the answer to that is that the goodness that will be to the nations in the world, as we're soon going to see, is going to be a tremendous enhancer to the, treme- to the great light that will be experienced by Israel. In other words, there is a dual inter, interlooping that's happening over here. We shouldn't think that the goodness that's coming for the nations of the world is unimportant to us. It is very important to us. Because the very, very light and 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 sishpoit amemishar, this that the nations will be judged fairly and they will feel great, they will feel elevated, they will feel cared for, they will feel that they were dealt justly by Hashem. A lot of good they've done for the Jewish people also throughout history. We've had persecution, but we've also had so many people that have extended so much kindness and sometimes done unbelievable things to care for Israel throughout all, all, all the time. And every bit of that is going to be rewarded tremendously. So we should realize that the goodness that's going to come to the nations is going to enhance the goodness that's going to come to the Jewish people as well. It's going to actually make the experience for Jews after Mashiach comes far greater than what is bestowed upon the Jewish people on their own. And let's understand why. We know that one of the reasons God exiled the Jewish people amongst the nations is so that we can extract sparks of holiness. That there is a tremendous amount of holy sparks that have been scattered amongst the world, embedded in all the peoples of the world and all the nations. And when the Jewish people mix and mingle throughout our long exile, we've been scattered and migrated into the diaspora across the entire world, we entered into every crevice of society, into every place, and do our Jewish things over there, build Judaism, learn Torah, do mitzvahs, using the resources of the Gentile nations, of the host nation. So then we're sublimating certain gems, diamonds, sparks of holiness that are very, very sublime and very great. And all the lights that are going to happen after Moshiach comes, all the spiritual light that is going to come pouring down upon Israel, the Jewish people, as the Mashiach comes, is attributed to the purification that happened in the nation's backyards. That which happened in the world of the, of the, of the, of the nations, that itself is going to contribute to the tremendous blessing that will be for 
the Jewish people after Mashiach comes, because of the sublimation of these sparks. So then we can say, okay, so the goodness of the nations will enhance the goodness of Israel. But that's not what we're talking about over here. That would have been a good explanation, but that's not what we're talking about over here. Because in this particular parak in Tehillim, we're not talking about the benefits we get from purifying or sublimating and elevating the nations now. We're talking about an elevation that's going to come to Israel, to the Jewish people, as a result of the goodness that's going to happen to the nations after Mashiach comes. So we're not talking about the purification that's happening in, in, the, in, 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 in the Gentile world during the time of exile. We're talking about a post-Messianic element where the nations will sing to God or the angels will sing. The angels being the source of the nations. If the angels are singing, they'll probably cause the, the nations to also sing. And what will they be singing for their goodness that will happen to them? As we said, and we're saying that will enhance the Jewish song as well. And here is the question. Once Moshiach came already, and we're living already in the post-Moshiach world, and we're out already, we've been, the Jewish people have been gathered from amongst the nations, back to Israel. We have already our temple. And we have already the great revelation of the, deep, the deepest Torah that's going to reveal after Moshiach comes. So why are we still dependent on the Song of the Nations? Or why will we be enriched by the nations even then? And the answer to that is, and that's what we're going to see now, and it's going to bring it uh, to, the, to, the, to, the, to the point of the whole share. And that is going back to why do we Bechlal say this during Sfirasa Omer? Why do we speak of this? I just explained to you what the meaning of this chapter is. But what does it have to do with this particular time of the year when we're doing Sefirah to Omer, when we're counting the Omer? The answer is, as I said earlier, Sefirah to Omer is a time when we sublimate that which is low in us. Sefirah to Omer is a time to pay attention to the parts in our character that needs fixing. We deal with the animal side, with our bodies, with our non-holy side, to bring holiness into it. And we said earlier, how many weeks are there to Sfirah, to Omer? Seven. Why? Because there are seven emotions in our animal soul that need rectification. Well, guess what? These seven emotions are the source of the 70 nations. So here's what happens. When we sublimate and work on purifying our character traits, and when we refine our animal, animal soul, which means our more human side, we have a godly side, but when we focus on sublimating our more human side, our natural side, it causes nature to be elevated. And what's nature? The nature of the 70 nations. They're the natural world. The Jewish people are, 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 a, are aliens in this planet. That's the reality. That's why we're always spoken of. And either people love us or hate us. But no one has non-opinion about us because we're not part of the world. And as much as anybody's going to try to fix the problem with anti-Semitism, it's never, ever, ever going to be fixed. Mashiach comes, it will be fixed. But honest, it can never be fixed because it's much deeper than any, any explanation. It runs very, very deep because a Jew 
is a, from outside of creation, from beyond the world. And therefore people feel that we don't belong. We just, this is just like something sticking out that doesn't belong. We discuss this another time. So once people realize what we're here for, then they can love us. If they don't realize what we're here for, they get very, very, very annoyed. And they can't even explain why they're annoyed. But that's just the way it is. And they have this whole philosophy, Jews control the world, and they control this, and they want to take over this, they want to take over that, and they oh, every kind of... And they hate us when we're poor, they hate us when we're rich, they hate us when we're, when, we're, when, we're, when, we're, when we're nationalists, and they hate us when we are socialists, and they hate us... No matter which thing we try to do, we're, Jews are never liked, because we are from outside. The natural world, that's the nations. So when the Jew spends seven weeks working on fixing his natural side, which is our, which is our human side, our, then through that, we sublimate the nations. That's why this Perek in Tehillim is what we say right after Sfirasa Omer. We speak about the elevation of the nations after Mashiach comes and their relationship with us. So now for a moment, when we will appreciate the connection of our neshama to our body, when we will appreciate the relationship of our neshama to the fixing of our body, and how vital the body is for the eternal well-being of the neshama, forever and ever and ever, for the eternal well-being of the neshama, the body is the most precious thing. And the neshama always needs the body, so too we will also eventually understand why the Jews and the nations influenced each other, not just now, but even after Mashiach comes. So let's understand that briefly. Just very briefly, very bickets. All of this that I'm saying to you today is a deep discourse from the Lubavitcher Rebbe on Sfira Saomer. The, I, I've cut out the, the whole beginning and the whole end, but this is just some of the middle. Vayom Yonasan. Phenomenal. So over there, he, he, descri he describes and he says like this. The relationship between the neshama and the body can be understood as follows. We know that the neshama comes down into the body and um, even though souls in heaven are in a very spiritual place, in a place full of light, but they can't really, they don't reach their ultimate realization until they come into a body. That's why the neshamas that never came down in a body are considered very, very weak. And their entire spiritual experience is, is very, very inferior to souls that were already in a body. Once a neshama comes, that's why souls wait to come down in a body. Even though when they come down in a body, they're miserable. Let me say that again. When a soul comes down in a body, the soul is miserable. Because the soul almost suffocates every day in the body. Unless you're learning a lot of Torah and doing a lot of mitzvahs. But if you're not doing that, then if you're... For some reason, the soul doesn't necessarily enjoy the smell of peanuts. Good ones. It's not exactly what like is so stimulating and exciting or good popcorn. <laughs> It needs to smell a mitzvah. 
that, that's what is exciting to the Shama. It needs Torah. These are the things. All these things that maybe we like and enjoy, it's not, not for our Nisham. So our Nisham is miserable down here in the body. But when it does what it's supposed to do, and Torah mitzvahs, it gains tremendously. So it's explained an interesting thing. When the neshama comes down in the body, the outcome of the neshama being in the body is twofold. Number one, after it leaves the body, it comes down here, let's say a person lives a nice long life, a hundred years old, and then, they, and then they pass away. So the neshama, after it goes through a certain purification, I'm not going to go through that, I'll leave that for the Musar teachers to teach you that part. You don't get that part in Mayan. I can't say it doesn't exist. It exists. So I don't want you to think, have kindness on me that I never told you. I, I can reference you other rabbis who love to discuss what happens in the, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the purification process. But we don't like to go there. We stick to all the lovely things. So after Neshama has done that purification, after that the Neshama goes to a much higher place than it was before it came down. It's infinitely higher. And its ecstasy and bliss is great. That's one elevation. But then there is another elevation. And that's that eventually, eventually, all souls, no matter how high they are in Gan Eden, will make a U-turn and head down. They'll literally turn around the freeway. They've been soaring higher and 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 higher, away, away from the material, away from the physical. As they go, the higher they go, the more they forget, forget the physical realm. Because they're living in a world of such sublime spirituality and so much godly light. And they're reaching the peaks and peaks and peaks, higher and higher and higher and higher and higher. They're a gazillion miles away already. And yet no matter how high they are, they're going to be turned around and go very quickly, speed on the concord, right back down into their bodies. That's the resurrection. And what's going to be the ultimate state of life? The shama in a guf, the soul in a body. For how long? Forever. Forever! That's what the Kabbalists say. Led by Ramban, Nachmanides. The state of Tchiasamesim, resurrection of the dead, is the permanent state of neshama and body forever and ever. And that's the ultimate elevation. So what's the difference between these two rewards? Very simple. One is a reward without the body, and the, one, the other one is a reward in the body. But both of them come, even the first reward, which is a reward of, for the neshama in heaven, outside of the body. The neshama can only go there after it was in a body. So follow. In other words, both of these achievements, the soul will only get after it was in a body. Reward number one, because it was in a body, it will get to go very far from a body to a very, very high place, much higher than it was before it ever came down. That's number one. Reward number two, it will eventually go back into the body and live happily ever after with the body in, in ultimate bliss and ecstasy and connection to God. So the question over here then is, so what's the difference between... The, both of them require the body. And the ultimate question is, how is the second reward greater than the first reward? 
How can we say that the soul, after it was already far away from the body, will go back into the body? It doesn't make any sense. When the body is so limiting and so constricting. And the answer to that is, and I'll do it very briefly, is as follows. Why does the Nishamr achieve its ultimate achievement when it's in the body? What's the, why so great? Why is that so, so powerful? Why can't the Nishama just live life peacefully? My question really is, you think about it, it's a deeper question. I'm asking the question of why all the turmoil, challenge, difficulties that we go through. Each and every one of us has so much aches and pains, so much problems, so much. Why do the Abish have to do this? What's for what purpose? To put us through the grinder. Why? Why? So we say there's two gains that the soul gets by coming into the body. Gain number one, when the soul is in heaven, the soul goes unchecked and unchallenged. So the soul never has to realize its true potential because it has nothing to fight against. So it can be attached to God even if it just is running on its on autopilot. The soul doesn't have to really dig deep inside itself in order to be attached to Hashem. It's naturally attached. When the soul comes into a body and it starts to experience all kinds of obstacles and challenges that threaten its integrity, that threaten its morality, that threaten its connection to God. So in order for the soul to remain loyal, devoted to Hashem, and to do learn Torah and do mitzvahs, despite the temptation in every turn in life, so much temptation, so much challenge, so much headache, so much d- distraction, pains and aches and questions and, and, and frustrations, and all the entire gamut of physical of the physical challenges that come to us as being in the physical world, they force us to squeeze out what we call the Shem and Zayazach. They force us to dig so deep in order just to be a Jew. To remain a, a Jew full of faith and belief in God, it takes so much effort, so much energy. What you're really doing is you're pumping. You're pumping out your deepest, deepest, untapped and unknown powers of your neshama, that the soul would never know how deeply one it is with God, unless it comes down in a body. So the body forced the soul to squeeze out its inner juice. It's that rev. Now once the soul has exposed its depth of what the neshama is, how deeply connected to God it is, as a result of that, when the neshama leaves the body, it can go to a place so much higher because it is so much godlier. You realize? Now the neshama has exposed how godly she is, so now she stretched her potential. Now she can receive what she was never able to receive before. But that, that explanation doesn't suffice all the way. Why doesn't this suffice? That's an explanation. But that's an explanation for the first reward. That's an ex- because according to that explanation, what's the value of the body? The body has no value. The, body, the value of the body is that it's an obstacle. It's an obstacle course. 
And when you go through obstacle courses, you, you develop talent. If a person never has an obstacle course, they never develop their talents. So the body then is a means to an end. So once you've realized and actualized the power of your neshama, what can you do with your body? God forbid, but that's what happens. You, take, you can take the body, put it into the earth, say goodbye forever. The neshama can kiss the body goodbye. Say thank you for making me miserable, but thank you for also bringing out my potential. And goodbye, I'm never going to see you again. And the soul goes soaring up to heaven to enjoy its ultimate bliss and ecstasy. That's one explanation. But now there's a much deeper explanation on the soul and the body. And that is as follows. As great as the neshama's connection to God is, and this, this is such a deep thought. This is what Hasidus is unbelievable. As great as the neshama is connected to God, and let me show you how deep the neshama is connected to Hashem. The neshama is a child. But deeper than a child. A parent's love for a child is like, wow. And a child's love for a parent is like, wow. Wow. But, why? Because child and parent are one. They're really one. But when we know our parents and our parents know us, they know us and they know and we know them after we've already emerged outside of them. Imagine how much our children are connected to us before our child was ever born. It was just part of our brain, part of our... In other words, there's two levels in a child. There is a child once the child emerges to be born. And then there is the child when the child is still in potential in the parent. Then they're completely indivisible. The parent is the child, the child is the parent. It's your unborn children before you've ever had them. Ah, it's a whole different level of connection. We're saying that how deep is the neshama a child of Hashem? It's like the child that has never been born yet, so deeply connected. And that is re realized when we're in a body. When we're in a body. And yet, despite all the challenges which should have even taken a child and made a child forget who his parents are, that's how dark this world is. The reason why we don't forget is because our neshama, we realize, we actualize, how our neshama is, is never left Hashem. We're still Him. That's how deeply connected. Parent and child. But parent and child where they're still one. It's even a deeper level of parent and child. Fine. But a parent and a child, the relationship, we would think it's the deepest relationship. It's not the deepest. There's something even deeper than that. Because a parent and a child, the relationship is as follows. Only on the level where someone can be connected to something other than himself. What do I mean by that? A child is special to you because of the child. Because this is your child. And your child is really connected to you. But then there is a deeper level, and this is the final thought. And what's the, what's the deepest level? The deepest level is when a person chooses something. When a person chooses something for no reason at all. You choose. Then, the re, it says in, in Hasidus, the real power of that choice is not because the thing is worthy, the thing is valuable, but because you choose it. Usually we find that people are fanatical about things, that they have hobbies. Someone starts to, someone decided to, to, to like create, to, to uh, what do they call it when people have these, uh, the collection. 
This guy has a stamp collection. This guy has a pen collection. This guy has a, I don't know, a, a tie collection. And this one has a um, little matchbox card connect collection. People has their, and they go and they buy and they travel the whole world because they find this one kind that they don't have. And it's like, they, they won't sell that no matter what. It's like, it's, or it's their, their love. Or you find sports fans. You choose a team and then you're like crazy about your team. It's usually things that don't make any sense that when you choose them, because you're choosing them, and the reason why they're so deeply, um, these examples are not really good examples. It's very hard to find an example of a pure, pure choice where you're choosing something for no reason at all just because you're choosing. In that which you choose for no reason at all, just because you're choosing, in that you invest your very quint essence of essence. Because that's just an expression of you, not of anything. It's, you're not liking something because of it. It's deserving for love. It's because I chose it. Like people are, if a person can make a house, spend so much money, but, and they choose a color for, for, for the bedroom, and it came out a tiny bit off. They're so miserable because it's, it's not the one I chose. I chose that one. It's in matters of choice that the craziness of the person. Why? Because choosing comes from your essence. Parent-child relationship is still a connection of you to something else. Some, because the, you're loving the child because of who the child is. It's part of you. But here you're loving something not because of any reason, just because you chose. It's a long subject. We discussed it in other classes. I'm just going to say... That's the quality of the Jewish body over the Jewish soul. The body has no quality. No quality at all. It's a piece of meat and bones. There's no reason that it should have any value. You know why the, value, the body has value? Because God chose the body. Uvanu b'charta and us, you chose the choice that God made in the Jewish body to choose. These are the bodies that He wants for Torah and mitzvahs. It's the body that Hashem chose. And therefore, it's touching Hashem's essence even more than the neshama. It's hard for us to imagine that. And for that reason, the body reaches into God, the physical flesh of the Jew reaches into Hashem's core, core heart, quintessence of quintessence, more than the Jewish neshamas that are a piece of him. And that's why the ultimate, and through, but here's the, here's the, here's the great thing, through the bodies, the neshama also enjoys that level of relationship. Once the neshama comes down in a body, and gets the body to conform with God's will, why did Hashem choose the body? Hashem didn't choose the body so that the body should, for no reason Hashem chose it. But what does he want? He wants the body to do his mitzvahs. When the neshama makes the body conform with God's mitzvahs, the level of connection that the body has is imparted to the neshama as well. So the soul also gains connection to God's essence higher than where the neshama is, even when you expose the source of the soul. That's why... As much as the neshama is in Gan Eden in the highest levels, the neshama is going to return back to a body. To live forever and ever in a body. For what purpose? Because ultimately the body contributes to the neshama more than the neshama contributes to the body. This is a secret that only Hasidism has spoken of. It's not in any other books. It's not written anywhere else. Because these are messianic teachings. The quality of the body higher than the soul. And this is the reason why you can't discard the body. 
According to the first explanation, that the body is acting as a challenge to squeeze out the beauty of the soul, to show you who an Ashama is. For that, you use the body as a means to an end, you dump the body. But if the ultimate greatness is in the body, even more than the Nishama, then you always need the body. Quite on the contrary, the Nishama will always be in a body, forever and ever. And the body will be giving to the Nishama more than the Nishama gives to the body. Once you have that idea, now we can also understand how that translates to the nations of the world as well. The sublimation of the nations and everything that's related to the nations of the world, since the nations of the world, so the peoples of the world, and the world in general that needs to be sublimated is because God wanted the Jewish body to be sublimated. So God created a whole world with stuff that belonged to the body. What belongs to the body? The material world, the natural world, including all the nations. So there's a certain... Because of the Jewish body, there is a, a quality that exists within the natural world itself. And therefore, when Mashiach will come, the song of the nations, or the, 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 which has to do with the sublimation of the Jewish body, as we said earlier, that through our tikkun of our seven seven week tikkun of the elements of the seven seven emotions that are in the Jewish animal soul, which it's hooked up to the seventy nations, through that sublimation that we do now, the nations are sublimated. Comes out that the nations they have a relationship to our physical side, the physical side of. And what are we saying now that the physical will contribute to the spiritual, and that's the reason for after Mashiach coming. The nations in the world themselves, their song, the goodness that's going to happen to them after Mashiach comes, is going to enhance the Jewish experience as well. Just like the neshama is enhanced through the body and because of the body. That's also an, an amazing thing why after Mashiach comes it says, there's going to be so much physical goodness. The Rambam says in the days of Mashiach, Madanim Mitsuyim Ka'afar, there's going to be physical delights. And you wonder when Mashiach comes and everybody's going to be searching for divine knowledge, who's going to care that there's good chocolate cake? Who's going to care that there's physical delicious fruits? And the answer is no. The experience of the physical is going to contribute to the spiritual knowledge of God. It's going to be in a reverse world. The holiness is going to come from the physical to the spiritual, not from the spiritual to the physical. So therefore, an enhanced material experience that's going to be when Mashiach comes, obviously it's not going to be gluttonous. It's going to be pure and healthy and with the right intentions and so on and so forth. But the physical delights, the palate, the tingling of the, of the, of the, of the taste buds on the tongue is going to enhance spiritual knowledge of God. And therefore, the goodness of the nations is going to enhance the experience of the Jewish people. And this is why, leading up to the conclusion of how we bring it right back to the parsha, ultimately, the highest connection to God is the Jewish body. Because the Jewish body is what the Abishter himself chose. Kedoshim tiyu, be holy, kikodeshani, I am holy, and your holiness and my holiness are equal, and that holiness is even the holiness of the body. Through Torah and mitzvahs, 
we uncover the secret of the Jewish body, that this body is what God himself chose. The choice of God is from the essence of God. So the essence of God is to be found in our bodies even more than in our souls. But we have to come full circle to get to that. And that's the secret of Kedoshim. So we have to treat our bodies with a lot of respect and awe and realize that taking care of our body and elevating the body and direct is so vital because it's all dependent on that. The ultimate eternal bliss of our neshama is dependent on a healthy, strong, and refined, godly body. And from the body will come the light of the neshama. May we merit to see the ultimate fusion of body and soul, nations and Israel, the world and the Jewish people, the material and the spiritual, and the whole world will be filled Hashem's light forever and ever. Say yo